One of the first things I want you to remember, the most dangerous negotiation to be in is one that you don't recognize as a negotiation. This is particularly important when dealing with procurement because you've got multiple parties, which means you're going to have multiple negotiations. Not only are you negotiating with the internal client or the end user, but you're also selling to procurement before the deal is done. And in, in many respects, the, the role of the procurement person to especially fiscal people and C-suite people is greater than that of the end user or the internal client. What and how questions for implementation purposes with the end user. The end user reaches out to you because you've got the best widget in the world and you have had that discussion with them. They are in agreement that you have the best widget in the world. You've already pitched them. They know that they want to go with you. And now they've got to present what it is that they've talked to you about with their procurement people. And that discussion is going to get dicey. And so how are you prepping your end user, your their internal client? How are you prepping them for the conversation that they will invariably have with procurement, but not only with just procurement, but with other people who have an interest in it, who have yet to determine whether or not they are on board? These implementation questions are not rocket science. I want to know before I let that end user leave my presence, how I'm going to be reassured that they are going to verbatim convey what was discussed back at their shop. What steps are they thinking about when relaying the information back to those at their shop who, who have to have a say in the decision? How are you going to handle the pushback? You know you're going to get it. How are you going to handle it? What do you need from me to make your management of those, that pushback easier? And more importantly, or most importantly from my perspective, is how are you going to hold your ground when the other side, procurement or otherwise, starts to recommend less expensive alternatives. That's a go-to move for them. You know they're going to pivot in that direction because that's what they get paid to do. And so how concretely will you stand fast when they recommend something cheaper, something with what they view as, as better terms? And with each of these questions, you're looking for substantive responses. You're looking for them to, to really be thorough in how they're going to lay that out. And you're forcing them to think about it. Sometimes think about things that they haven't thought about before, because in their mind, I want it. We've got the money. We should just go and buy it. But there's always that person or group of people whose job it is to stay in compliance and save the company as much money as possible. So get a good idea using these implementation questions on how they're going to structure their conversation with those on the other side. The next thing I want you to keep top of mind, this idea of tactical empathy. What is their perspective? What is, what, how do they view products and services? Hang on a second, guys. I'm having some trouble here. How do they view products and services? Normally, 
it's viewed at a very high level. You know, um, a company or, or, or government agency wants to buy, you know, 10 F-150 pickup trucks because those pickup trucks fit the bill for what they need to do. They turn it over to procurement and procurement says they just need pickup trucks. So instead of F-150s, I'm going to look at, you know, um, one of the one of the smaller Toyota models or one of the smaller Nissan models that are less expensive than the F-150. So they generally take a very generic view of the specific requests that you made. And so it goes from your widget to any widget and not necessarily from you. Now, these um, these quotes that I'm giving, oh, shoot, sorry about that. These quotes that I'm giving you here, these were taken from a procurement training document. And I want you to pay attention to the words that are coming out of their mouths. They want, they expect to be sold when they have that conversation with you. And because they're being sold, they want you to be prepared to ask, to answer those tough questions. So when you're selling them, they want it short, they want it concise, but they also want you to be prepared to handle the tough questions that they're going to ask you. He also said in this document, know that I am human. If you, and interestingly enough, he says, if you don't care about me as a human being, I'm going to know. What does that tell you? They see through us. They're hyper vigilant of being railroaded. They're hyper vigilant of being roughshodded. They're hyper vigilant of being um, taken advantage of. And a lot of that hyper vigilance comes from the fact that they too like to take advantage of people. And so people who spend time taking advantage of other people are hyper vigilant to people taking advantage of them. So just keep that in mind. And I'm not, I'm not saying this as if it's a blanket statement across the board, but this document was written by a procurement guy. And these are the words coming out of his mouth, so it tends to tell you what they hold in esteem. What do they think about relationships? This is from their playbook. Buying and selling is a relationship to them. Never lose sight of the fact that this is a human interaction. And from his perspective, relationships are built on genuineness and sincerity and over a period of time. Translation, they expect to be involved with you in the long term. And the more transparent you are, the more projected sincerity, the more genuineness you show, the better off you're going to be. Does not sound like anything that you haven't heard come out of our mouths, which is interesting. Because while he speaks this, Think back to the interactions that you've had with other procurement people and how 
divergent their approach was to what's coming out of this guy's mouth. And I think that that's interesting in a lot of ways, but largely because, you know, talking the talk is different than walking the walk. And most people know how to talk a good game. They just don't know how to walk and play the game. The last impression is the lasting impression. He goes on to say the valley is very small. The world is very small. Don't treat this like it's a one-off because you're going to run into me again at some point in the future. And in every tough conversation, hostile conversation, people will remember two, time, two, two points in that conversation. The most intense moment and then how you made them feel when the interaction concludes. And that supports that one law of negotiation gravity that we have beaten you about the head and shoulders with. This is huge, guys. Your understanding of how hard their job is. Intuitively, you probably know that they have a difficult job, but most of the people that you dealt with have been so difficult that you didn't care. You need to express that you understand where they are coming from. All right. These are my words. Typical, not all procurement negotiators are the equivalent to a criminal hostage taker. Why do you think I say that? What characteristics do each of those possess that overlap one another? And for those who were wondering, that is a question. They, they both have something that you want. All right. Yeah, they both have something that you want. So obviously, there's they both have, they're both holding something hostage. What else? Derek in the chat, Aaron says they hold something you want for a cost. Hold something that you want for a cost. All right. But what makes that bad? What, what makes that on the part of the criminal hostage taker? What makes that criminal? What, what characteristics are they displaying that make it criminal? They're not going to just give it to you. I mean, you got you to gotta work it. Yeah, they're going to make you work for it. And some of the ways that they make you work for it are to be aggressive, to be demanding, to try to manipulate you through intimidation by issuing threats, by exploiting deadlines. Every criminal hostage taker that Don and Dennis and Sandy and I ever worked had at least two, if not all five of those had at least two, if not all five of those. And when you, when we look at it from our old law enforcement perspective, when we look at the procurement negotiator, we're like, holy crap, they're doing the exact same thing. They're just not holding a person. And so demonstrating your understanding of the difficulties of their job, I can't tell you how fast you get that stuck lid off of that jar once you start articulating what their world looks like. First of all, 
They're justifying their position. They have a strong drive to be seen as something worthwhile in this whole sales and acquisition process. You need to identify that for them. Typically, they're seen as difficult. They're seen as um, creating obstacles. They're seen as being only necessary because policy says that you have to have it in place. Hurting cats. Again, this, the, this description comes out of the mouths of procurement people. A lady that we were doing, uh, she was a part of one of our live events in San Francisco, said, you all just do not understand how difficult it is for us. She said, we are, in essence, herding cats while at the same time being chased by villagers with pitchforks. And then she added, in a burning house. So she's herding cats in a house that's burning down. And outside of the house that's burning down are villagers with pitch, pitchforks. Those are both of the internal and external clients who are getting upset with them because they haven't delivered or they're, 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 they're slowing the process down. So accusations audits. This is how we start our tactical empathy with anybody that we're dealing with on the other side, particularly as it pertains to procurement and deal killers. They know how the rest of the business world feels about them and they're worn out by it. They're worn out by it. this woman that I was talking to you about. Um, she got really emotional during this live event. I mean, she's choking up as she's standing up telling us that we don't have a keen appreciation of what it is that she has to go through as a procurement professional. Why did she get that emotion? Because she's tired of it. She's tired of being looked at as this ogre. She's tired of being looked at as this three-headed beast that has to be slain in order for an agreement to take place. That, that one sentence there has probably two or three accusations audits wrapped up in it. I have found... Jerry, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Chris has his hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, this is for Derek or Sandy. Um, do you feel like they play the victim because they don't like their job or because it's an advantage to them? Because I know um, a lot of people that love grinding people. Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, from my perspective, I've got to evaluate the totality of the circumstances. So if they're doing it to play victim, Chris, this is going to be hard to describe. If they're doing it and they're playing the victim, you're going to know it. That manip the manipulation stinks. It smells. It's like bad fish. You can smell it. And so when in, in, in the uh, uh, example that I just gave you, did I think she was making any of that up during that live event without question? No, she was not. That was legit. Now, she wasn't in an environment where she was trying to say yay or nay to a purchase of anything and, and, and 
could she do it in that environment and manipulate people? Of course she could. In in this discussion that we were having with her, I don't think she was making it up. So if you're in the conversation and they're playing the victim and it's illegitimate, you're going to smell it. You're going to smell, especially a guy like you, Chris, who's been around the block um, with our stuff over and over again. You know when people are trying to be manipulative. If, if there's nothing else, uh, a great addition or a, a great benefit of understanding the Black Swan method is it comes from a position of trustworthiness and genuineness. And so we're hypersensitive to being genuine, being transparent, being trustworthy. And so when we are subjected to behavior that's not, it reeks. And so I'm going to throw it back to you, Chris. Let's say I'm the procurement guy and I, you know, I'm telling you, you know, Chris, there, you know, it's really tough for me over here. Things are going bad. I just don't, you know, you could, I don't know if they're going to accept it, but I know it would go down a lot easier if you guys could like save off like 10%. What are you going to do with that? Probably go down the line two plus one, 10%. Yeah, you want to, what, yeah, exactly. Where did 10% come from? And more importantly, did I do my job at the beginning? Chris, did you do your job at the beginning? Did you proof of life this guy at the beginning of the conversation? And so that's, that'll be a great way for you to smoke out the, the manipulators. Um, but it's based on context and, it, and it's based on um on what your 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 intuition is telling you and if your gut is telling you this ain't right your gut is telling you this guy is trying to get over on me go right at it sandy and i were having that conversation about an hour ago we gotta when you start to feel like this procurement person is starting to manipulate he's telling you what i don't have the same appreciation for this relationship as you do and mm -hmm. When you're dealing with someone who has demonstrated that, the kid gloves have to come off and we have to go right at the issue. Even if it's up to and including, it seems like you're trying to manipulate me for an advantage. Now, Ooh, that's a good one. Like now how about that for a smack in the mouth with that's a That's sort of enough. That's a sort of enough. <laughs> because listen, they're telling you when the difference between manipulation and influence is the intent of the speaker. And you guys have heard me say it time and again. We talk about tactical empathy. We talk about deferring to the other side. We talk about subordinating ourselves to the other side. That does not mean that the other side gets to victimize me. And when I smell it, that they're trying to victimize me. In a deferential way, I'm going right back at them and making make them provide evidence to the contrary. Put them on the spot. 